and welcome to Beyond the Capital from Supertech. I'm Hilary, we're back, it's 2023, and this series we're going to be exploring how to deal with adversity. I'm going to be talking to entrepreneurs, business leaders about how they've overcome major challenges. Some of them are financial, personal, sometimes about investment, securing funding, launching during a small thing like a pandemic. I'm going to find out how they made it through the ups, the downs, building thriving businesses ultimately and doing it from the regions because this is beyond the capital. It's a podcast series about the professional services tech scene and building those businesses outside of London. I'm Hilary Smith-Allen. In this episode, we're hearing from someone who is looking to revolutionise the way digital skills are taught and to help bridge the UK's technology skills gap. Tessie Masindi is the CEO and founder of Code Funhouse. Thanks for joining me, Tessie. Would you like to start by introducing yourself? Yes, thank you, Hilary. My name is Tessie Masindi, and I am CEO and founder of Code Fun House. Um, Code Fun House is an AI tutor for kids learning text-based coding, so programming languages such as Python, JavaScript, Java, uh, languages that are used for real-life problems to solve real-life problems, and, and are used to create real-life solutions such as websites, apps, etc. Um, the idea behind the company is to really revolutionize how children learn how to code, first of all, so change the traditional ways of learning um, because they're quite disengaged in the classroom, but also lead to real life career outcomes. So rather than focusing on investing, transitioning in later life, they will already have built that self-efficacy in terms of problem solving skills and computational thinking skills, and they will be prepared for work, no matter what it is in like 10 years time, the jobs will all be different. Um, In my day, there was no such thing as like an Instagram influencer and that's that's something now so <laughs> and that's me in a nutshell from a, a business point of view um i i'm also a computer science teacher as previously head of computer science at a secondary school and then i also run a charity that sends disadvantaged girls to school called educating africa and that's me i'm gonna stop nattering on about myself <laughs> oh no there's a lot in that i could see why all of the moving parts come together to create your business i'm i'm interested in the ai tutor sort of what does that actually mean in practice? Bring it to life. Like, what are the kids experience? Yeah, I think that's even something computer scientists are still trying to answer. Um, <laughs> and what it just means in in a nutshell is automating tasks that the teacher would normally have to do. So for example, if kids are making an error and usually there's probably like 30 odd kids in the class, right? Teachers running around trying to figure out what those errors are in a program. And a lot of times they don't have the specialist knowledge to do that. They might have it in one language, but not in the other language. So what we've done is, you know, pick up on those errors, pick up on the individual learning styles of each student so that then our, um, we would call it back in the clip art, but <laughs> now we're calling it an AI so that our tutor, their buddy will then inform them, well, you've made an error on this bit or why don't you try this lesson again because you didn't do too well at it or if they're doing really well, you know, um, move them on, progress them on to the next level. And what that will do is really build confidence in that program because we're in the classroom in case the teacher can't get around, they would then give up, wouldn't they and they'd never try it again so this is supposed to make it as easy as possible as accessible as possible so that it's something that becomes part of their everyday lives same way as playing games posting on tiktok etc um so yeah ai just means automation to be honest and then being really intelligent making intelligent decisions from those automations and data tracking Wow, I feel like I could do with one uh, at home to shout get your shoes on and maybe my kids will listen to that at a moment but how's the transition been then you know you talked about the teaching side you're now a founder 
Uh, how's that gone? It's been challenging. Yes, absolutely challenging. I mean, if I said it wasn't, I would be lying. Um, there's a really comfortable experience. I know it'd be strange because you'd be like comfortable in the classroom, but there is a comforting experience, you know, talking to children in the classroom. No matter how, you know, the day goes, at the end, they're always like, oh, miss, we appreciate you're here. And you still feel warm. You know, you're making an impact um, at a classroom level. In business, you never quite know how it's going. You know, <laughs> it's always, yeah, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. And then, you know, you need to still sell 1,000, you know, um, subscriptions to, to keep going. So I feel like in the classroom, I'd really gotten used to that. And that was really comforting for me. It's, it's almost like a second home, really, because you spend most of the day there. Whereas with business, even though I've been in it for most of my life, I'm still sometimes figuring out if it's going well or not. And has it been lonely? I suppose the classroom is quite contained there. You, you know who you're meeting each time. How's that been in terms of a, the loneliness, I suppose, but also getting the word out there? Exactly. Yeah. So it can feel quite isolating sometimes um, because you might not be at the right level yet to get the, the proper support that you need. Sometimes it's hard to know what support you need, maybe if you're not asking the right questions. And then you might feel like a, a community of people are similar to you, but actually, you know, they might not be ed tech, so they don't completely understand. Um, I remember trying to reach out for some mentorship and I was like, oh, but you know Duolingo. And they were like, what's Duolingo? <laughs> What's Code Academy? And, you know, it's 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 those sort of things where, you know, in the classroom with kids, I feel like there's always exploration. There's always creativity. So their minds are really open to trying new things all the time. It's always exciting. Whereas, like you said, in business, you're still trying to figure it out a lot of the time. And things are changing as well consistently in the business world, especially with crypto and blockchain and all the crashes, bank issues. You just find yourself in a whole world of, oh, gosh, have I made the right decision? Yeah. <laughs> Have I made the right decision? I'm, I'm probably better off teaching year nines, period five, which we call the dead end zone where nobody's listening anymore, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but challenging, but rewarding. A different experience. I'm, I'm happy I've taken the step. Very good. And how have you managed to I suppose, find the confidence? Or is that, that, you know, trying to take your message out there and, and to... to basically meet strangers. Uh, that's what it is, isn't it? I mean, if, if you translate networking into normal life, it's going around meeting strangers, which you kind of told in the, probably in the school of Ireland never to do. <laughs> Precisely. And um, I worked in quite a small school where I was mostly alone. I mean, I had my department, but we don't even get to see the English department or have lunch with anybody else. And so to come out of that space, come away from the kids and go out, network with new people. I was in um, Web Summit in Portugal. And I, were, I wasn't only with the, pe the with the Brits, I was meeting Americans as well. And you know, they're so full of energy, so full of life. So I ended up being up for 24 hours straight <laughs> so that I could demo the app during the summit and then go to the um, events in the evening. But what was really amazing is how things have changed. So my backstory is I was actually in tech um, back in 2014, 2015. And that was very, very lonely. I would go to places and I'd be, first of all, the only woman, sometimes the only black woman. I'd get asked where the water, you know, are you here to give out the waters, hand out the waters and all sorts of questions. Wow. <laughs> so there has been massive improvement from 2014-15 to now. There are communities, small pockets of um, female founders, um, sometimes dedicated to black or Asian founders as well. So with the Americans in Portugal, they had a sort of like 
like a black and Asian movement. And we ended up going to a dinner and that was incredible as well. So um, as much as there's a lot to change, there's still a lot of progress to be made. Things are happening and there's little ripples here and there. In terms of confidence, um, if I can teach 30 students and half of them get bored in 30 seconds, I've taught yeah. myself. <laughs> <laughs> Resilient. I, I have to literally, you, you know, you walk into a lesson, sometimes nothing goes well, but the internet's not working, the, the screen's not showing, and then you, you become a storyteller, you become a comedian, and you become a mum, a dad, everything at once to these kids. So I've just had to replicate that, you know, in real life. And I've pitched twice now. I pitched at Web Summit, um, and then I pitched uh, at the um, Innovate Edge UK female entrepreneurs competition that was at Christmas and I won. <gasps> Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I won a £150,000 investment. Um, I turned that down. I'll go into that probably in another podcast about valuations. But, you know, I'm, I'm picking up that confidence on a day-to-day basis and I'm, I'm, it's really growing. I'm really striving and I'm, I'm moving forward. Oh, it's great to hear that things have moved on so much in that time and you, you're clearly very upbeat about it. Or is it, Has it always been the case? No, it hasn't. Um, I'm not from the traditional background of what uh, an edtech, especially in tech, of what a tech entrepreneur looks like. Um, I didn't go to business school. In fact, I didn't go to school at all. I'm homeschooled. So there's a lot of, first of all, social cues to overcome. And then there are the terminologies And then there's the demands that keep changing. So, for example, um, sometimes people will say MVP. Like, what does that even mean? And I'll enter into rooms and I will be made to feel, even when I do know it, that I don't know it or I'm not sure of what I'm talking about because of what I look like. You know, I'm I'm a woman. Surely I don't know what I'm saying. And it does create this lack of self-belief, constantly asking myself if I'm doing the right thing or if I've got it wrong. And I'm saying this as early as just yesterday. I was in an investment meeting and I got asked a question that threw me off. Like, why are you asking me that? I don't need to know that. My CTO needs to know that. So some of these things have really proved the challenge to me because then I have to work 10 times harder. And this is a consistent story for a lot of women. I know this and then a lot of black women. Furthermore, I'm having to prove myself double compared to what somebody else would have to do because I don't fit the mold. And in doing that, then I'm asking if this is a big risk because I'm throwing everything. And then I don't even know where to get that help sometimes. Who's the right mentor? I don't have a mentor. So coming into the pitches, I really didn't believe I would win to be honest, Um, even coming back into tech from how many years that I should have the experience, I didn't know if I'd even get this far because I know that I don't fit the mould. I haven't built the network and that confidence constantly asking myself, is this the right thing to do? Is this the right time to do it? And do I know enough? And when you know enough, you are still being told you don't know anything. You need to go back and, and revisit the board and scrap everything. And so The key piece of advice I learned from the last pitch is just to take everybody with a pinch of salt. Like everyone's trying to be the cook in the kitchen, but you know what you want to make, right? You want to make cookies, cupcakes, whatever. You need to focus on making that because you might end up making something completely different. But listen to the customer as well, because that's who you're actually building for and not for yourself. And I think I've been really taking that as the main focus for myself. Otherwise, I don't think I would do it at all. Um, Some days it is very overwhelming. I do sit and have a little cry, like (laughs) 
Oh. I could I could be at school right now. That was safe. I already built my whole curriculum. I've redrafted my pitch deck at least like 50 times. I'm sure every startup founder will tell you that. There's like eight versions of the same pitch deck because in articulating yourself, there might be things that people want to hear that you're not hearing. Um, so I think that that's the big next challenge for me is actually even finding a mentor. So I know the right lingo. I know how to articulate better, you know, where my business is coming from and maybe even having a brand strategist to help me see that I am presenting the right thing and, and you know, maybe present it better, tell the story and bring the journey to, to life. You sound like you got it nailed to me, but that's not for everybody <laughs> on there. Um, you mentioned in both of those then, this move into tech, the change of career and the, you know, the, impact or your own self-confidence etc in there and pitching does any of that coalesce we've heard sorry the reason for asking is we've had previous people come on and particularly women women from ethnic minorities talk about a funding gap is that real in your experience it's something you you touched about valuations and things i mean we're happy to go there if you are Yes, absolutely. I mean, first of all, it's no secret that in tech, there is a real funding gap in terms of the difference between what male founders, male-led founders receive and what female-led founders, like companies receive. I think it's something like 12%. That's all female founders get of all funding. And there's so many support schemes, new funds coming out every day, but that's not being filtered down into, you know, real terms and real application. For example, with my company, looking at the valuation that I got, being the fact that we had traction and we had customers using it, we got such a low valuation and we were told that's the standard. That's that's what happens in the UK. And I just sort of felt also that, you know, being a female founder affected that because I know a lot of our competitors and in the in a similar market space, we're getting higher valuations. And then even looking towards Europe as well, I met some of the female funds and they were like, they faced the same thing, getting funding into their uh, venture capital um, funds is really difficult for them to do. So yes, definitely it's something I always have in the back of my mind. And and when I do come across all the different funds and new schemes, I do think, oh, maybe I'll have more of a shot, but nothing's really changing in that regard. So we haven't still completed our funding round because it's especially this market now, it's even tougher than before. I think it's gone back to pre-2016 rates of funding for everyone overall. And then when you put being a woman into that, it just really reduces the opportunity to get funded. And another thing is saying, okay, you know what, you need high net worth individuals in your network, but I don't know how I would get 50 teachers. I was told the other day, get 50 teachers to give you 10K each. I mean, I, we're, we're, teachers are on strike. Where are we going to get 10K each? We barely have 500 pounds in the cost of living crisis. So it's that part as well. I think it links together. Having the funding comes from having a network. But how can you build a network when you're not part of the club? You're not part of the clique. You didn't go to... I would say Yale, Harvard, but we're in the UK. So Oxford, Cambridge, you know, you're not a middle aged um, white man. And that's that's just how it is. And you don't have all of those uh, tools and resources, mentorship, who will intro you to the Ministry of Education. You know, they don't come to dinner with you. So how will you get about doing that? And it's really about overcoming that. And it is very, very tough. And I would say I'm still in a little bit of a privileged place because I live in Birmingham, 
there seems to be like a budding community coming up now and there's other women, you know, sort of supporting each other. But I know that there might be other cities where that's not happening at all. And like I was even in London a good, you know, eight years ago, I've, I've experienced what it feels like to have nothing at all as well. So I do feel like I'm, I'm doing my best to push forward, but it's very, very tough. But it sounds like you have and are digging deep for that confidence to say that's not good enough for me and I don't have to accept your terms. Absolutely. Which is, you know, really inspiring. Just thinking then really quickly, like thinking for their head, what next for your business? Where are you going? What does is, what is good hopefully look like in, in reality? Yes, for me, it's all about the customers, to be honest. And those are the students right now, the students, the teachers, the parents. And I'm I'm thinking about their careers, their professional skills. If we can make that impact so that later in life, they don't have to feel that self-doubt. They've already got the confidence that they can solve problems regardless of what job they want to go into, regardless of their career. Um, I think that will be success for us. So whether that be at a 1,000 student level, which we already have more than 1,000 students, by the way, um, to over a million students plus, that would be completely amazing because we would have made an impact. You know, I wanted to make an impact bigger in my classroom. And I feel like I'm already doing that. So although I'm not raking it in, you know, I can't buy a Ferrari or anything yet. I probably wouldn't. I have to send lots of girls to school. Um, I feel like it's about making that difference. And it's about really changing the economic success of women. That's my big thing. And that's why I have a charity to help disadvantaged girls. We know that women suffer the most from not having the right skills. And we know that a lot of things are really mansplained and, you know, they're they're locked out of access to being in those jobs. So by really changing that, I can create economic success for a lot more girls and, and, and champion those careers for them. I wish you every success in that. Thank you for spending some time to talk to me. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. I hope we do it again. That was Tessie Masindi, CEO and founder of Code Funhouse. Thanks for listening. This has been Beyond the Capital from Supertech. I'm Hilary Smith-Allen. Please follow us on Apple, Spotify, whichever is your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed listening, tell your friends and family and give us a rating to help others find the podcast. <laughs>